With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. First, tell me again the the hostage story, because it's such a a great story. So you were basically kidnapped. We knew there was a problem, because this is a tinted black Jeep, government plates, rolling around, no cars allowed, and anybody who's seen one bad Hollywood spy movie is like, okay, government plate, tinted Jeep, this is a problem. Let's let's get out of here. The guy gets in my face really, really close, really aggressive, and goes, in your country, can you walk around with just no identification and no passport? Tell me the goddamn truth. And I'm thinking, do I tell him the truth, which is actually I don't need to do that at all, or do I tell him, do I admit some sort of wrongdoing that makes me look even worse for not following the law? So I decide, screw it, I'm just going to be honest. And I said, yeah, we don't need any form of identification at all. And he turns to his friend in, in Serbia and he goes, I guess they really are truly free over there. I had no idea. <laughs> the cops would say something like, you guys, Americans, all you guys do is screw with our country and like bomb us. You're trying to destroy us. We're going to destroy you. We're going to send you back to your CIA friends in a body bag. We've discussed this before, but I want to kind of go over this story again. Like you have kind of this um, epic story of when you were held hostage. That's right. And you talked your way out of it. Yeah. And then I want to talk about that. But then I also want to talk about, this is something I think about a lot. Like I interview so many fascinating guests and you've interviewed many more. I mean, you're up to episode what is it, like four or 500 or something? Yeah, 500 and, and some, I, I should probably know this off the top of my head, but I think it's, I should probably know it off the it's top probably of like head. 530 interviews, plus I have the mini-sodes on Monday, plus I have Fan Mail Friday. And I, I was episode 300. I was a, right? uh, That's right. Yeah, I Man, was like a pivotal memory. episode. But um, I, I always try to get at least a couple of takeaways from each podcast I do because you're not just doing a podcast for the entertainment of others, I'm trying to learn in the podcast from my guest. And so I try to say to myself, what am I learning from this? And so I want to hear how you learn and what you've learned from most of your guests. And I have some guests in particular in mind. But again, your theme of your podcast is about... I, charm is almost the wrong word because that sounds very... Um, almost like 1800s, the art yes. of charm, which I, which I like the, in terms of st- uh, naming. Stylistically. But, yeah, but uh, it's really about, you know, kind of persuasion, likability, authenticity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to kind of ask you about that and what you've learned from some key guests. Definitely, yeah. But, but first, tell me again the, 
the hostage story because it's such a, a great story. So you sure. were you were basically kidnapped. Yeah. So I used to be a teacher in Serbia, which is like former anybody. Yugoslavia, like anybody. <laughs> back when we were all teachers in, in the former Yugoslavia, and I was there, and I had this uh, the the people paying for my job over there was the U.S. Department of Defense, and and they have this educational we were arm. Like it's that's, not, it's not often. Yeah. So you said like five things in the past two sentences. Department of Defense paid for me to be a teacher in Serbia. Right. Like, like what the heck? Well, the same line of thinking also was had by the local, uh, I should say, state security officers. So they have an office there. The the Department of Defense has an office there that's part of their educational wing. And, and to be fair, it's like you know what a Fulbright is. Yeah. So this is like the same path as Fulbright. Usually, people do this and then they apply for a Fulbright in the same area and they get it, or or you know they don't get it, whatever. And I applied for this, and I got it, and I went to Serbia, and I just assumed that whoever was working in that same building or those police, they just know who's going in and out of there, and they keep tabs on those people. But why did you want to do this? Well, I had already been to Serbia as an English teacher privately for a year prior to that. So you were making a living teaching English to I was. other countries. I was making a really crappy living. I think I got paid like 100 euros per month, which mm-hmm. is, you know— not a lot of money. I mean, just say, let's say it's $120 at that time per month. You can't survive anywhere on that at all. So I was basically coming out of pocket to do it, but I was killing time between undergrad and law school. And then after the first year of law school, you, you're supposed to do something with your summer that's relative to, you know, relevant at all to your growth or, or anything. So I applied for this fellowship and got it. And it was pretty prestigious fellowship in terms, as far as all of academic Getting as far as getting money from the government to go and screw around for a summer, it's a pretty like it's it, it looks good on paper. I Note to say. self, yeah, exactly. I have to do it <laughs> exactly, and and so I went there and they just kind of went. This guy's just a spy and right. CIA fellowship some, to yeah, hang out with Serbia. <laughs> exactly, and they're kind of like, what's this guy's angle? And so they were showing up at places where I was supposed to be living, and I had to register with the police as a foreign national working there and i had all kinds of problems with visas and all kinds of problems with other issues luckily i could at that point since i was with the government fellowship call the u.s embassy and go there and stop by and then they would make a call to some police chief and i would get all my stuff handled but that still didn't look that good to their internal security who's Mm. like okay so this random teacher it has a Department of Defense scholarship, and the second we give him any issues with his work visa, the ambassador calls out some <laughs> guy who's like, "Yeah, the assistant to the U.S. ambassador's secretary calls the chief of police and pulls some strings, and he walks in with like, you know, instead of waiting five months, he walks in and walks out with a stamp of paper and a business card. Like this isn't how this is supposed to work. And their state security, it's not like our FBI where they're like, look, we're just making sure everything's okay. These are a lot of times these militia guys from Bosnia that got pushed out for all these atrocities and their village has been burned to the ground. So now they work in Serbia, in Belgrade, or in some other part of Serbia as their internal security. And there's certain laws on the books, at least at that time, that said those guys were above the law. And and, and it doesn't, I'm sure, say that. But basically they're immune from prosecution. And the reason that they did that was because the UN was trying to get Serbia to prosecute these people. And it's hard to harbor a criminal inside a country, but it's easier to say, look, these people have all been granted immunity from anything that may or may not have happened by previous administrations, and we can't go back on that. So that they kind of just went around doing drugs and terrorizing people. And it happened—I wasn't just lucky as a foreigner. I was kind of, but— 
There are other people in Serbia that when this happened to me and I told all my friends, they were like, oh, yeah, you know, my uncle got beat up because he owns a farm equipment importing business and he wouldn't pay them. Or like, oh, yeah, you know, my my friend imports Legos and they stole a bunch of his stuff and he's like screwed and he got screwed out of like an annual salary worth of stuff because they just like took the shipment. Mm. They're just bastards. And uh, I was at a concert, and they were rolling around looking for people, and they found me and my friend. And my friend also, they had hit the jackpot, because my friend, his dad was an old organized crime figure from Serbia back in the day, friends with this guy named Arkan, who got assassinated, and was like this arms dealer so guy. So that didn't buy him any kind of goodwill it, with it other, was, the next generation of gangsters? No, I guess it was kind of the opposite, where like they're like, oh yeah, you're part of these guys that like are gone now. We're the new show in town and he had a big mouth he wasn't he was the opposite of art of charm whereas he was kind of like you know this is your friend this is any yeah he yeah my friend was like you know i can you guys are in trouble you guys have no idea what's going to happen to you and they're just like who's holding the gun right now punk you know and i was so when you were in the concert and they found you they just like take you out mm -hmm. physically of the concert or they say go come with us or so there's there's no cars allowed on this island the the Island, I can't remember the name of it, but it's an old Turkish fortress from the Ottoman Empire on an island. So it's like Game of Thrones style place, uh, mm. although there's no roof or anything. It's, you know, open air. And um, I think it holds like 140,000 people or something ridiculous. It's just huge. And they're driving around in this car, and there's no cars allowed on the whole island. I mean, it's a music festival. It doesn't have a street. There's a, the UN had bombed, or the US or whoever had bombed the bridge that goes to it. So there's a military bridge that's like floating temporary, but it's been like decade and a half. And so you, we knew there was a problem because this is a tinted black Jeep, government plates rolling around, no cars allowed. And anybody who's seen one bad Hollywood spy movie is like, <laughs> okay, government plate tinted Jeep, this is a problem. Let's, let's get out of here. And they were looking for somebody. It could have been us, could have just been looking for trouble, but they stopped us and they were like, where are your passports? And I, so we showed our passports because you have to carry your passport. The problem is I had a copy of mine. I didn't have my original because you could lose that. And then right. you're, you know, you don't have your passport in a country where you might want to split, you know? So I said, here's a copy of my passport. And they're like, oh, you're in violation of the law. You have to have your original passport on you at all times as a foreign national living in Serbia. And they're telling me this in English. They don't know I speak Serbian at this point. And the other guy starts to get really mad. It's a little, it's a little bit bad cop, worse cop. And they go, well, you know, y you need to carry your passport. And I'm like, look, sorry, I, I, I didn't realize I had to have the original. I've been fine with my copy for a really long time. You know, I live here long term teaching English. It's dangerous to carry my passport because I might lose it. And then the guy gets in my face really, really close, really aggressive and goes... In your country, can you walk around with just no identification and no passport? Tell me the goddamn truth. And I'm thinking, Ugh, do I tell him the truth, which is actually I don't need to do that at all, or do I tell him, do I admit some sort of wrongdoing that makes me look even worse for not following the law? So I decided, screw it, I'm just going to be honest. And I said, yeah, we don't need any form of identification at all. And he turns to his friend in, in Serbia and he goes, I guess they really are truly free over there. I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> and the other guy just goes, damn, you... Is he for? Is this for real? And so the, he turns around again and goes, "Really? No identification anywhere. You can just walk around." And I go, "Yeah, it's in our constitution. The, the police cannot ask you for anything like that. You have to you have to identify yourself, but they cannot make you carry any identification." And they just stopped and they were, I, you could just see like the gears turning in their head where they're just questioning everything that they knew about freedom. Right? They thought it was just like a line of 
BS from uh, some Kenny Loggins song or something like that. And I like how you pick Kenny Loggins as your representative <laughs> musician for Freedom, but go ahead. Well, I was thinking I think like, he lives in Chelsea, by the way. Top That's Gun it. theme yeah. song, right? Freedom. Hashtag America. <laughs> Maybe I'll go. You should get Kenny Loggins on, and, and he's probably got not so much to talk about in terms of... Yeah, that's a thing. I don't know. There's probably not a lot going on. <laughs> New York, this whole place, there's show guests Podcast guests walking all around. Everywhere. <laughs> um, so they're like, all right, well... We're, you're coming with us. And I'm thinking, I really don't want to do this. It's really early in the morning because we had spent all night out at this music festival. And there, we, we thought, okay, we're, we're going to have to get in the car. I mean, they're armed. You know, this is this is what's happening. But I, you know Gavin DeBecker's book, The Gift of Fear? No. Well, he, he basically, this guy went on Oprah a million years ago and said, never go to the secondary location. Because if you go to the secondary location, this is a place where no one can hear you scream and you can't do anything. Now, I had vaguely remembered that in the first time I was actually kidnapped. What, what does in it Mexico? quite mean, a secondary location? Oh, so and then we're gonna get back to the first time you got kidnapped. Sure, sure. So, so the secondary location is if I if I'm seeing you outside this building, right? You're walking out, and I'm like, I'm gonna grab James Altucher. I I got you right there. You're walking out with your ice latte or whatever. I go, come with me. A lot of kidnap victims are like. Crap. Okay, I better comply because this person's going to be violent or is armed or something. And somehow, when I get there, I'll figure out something else to do. Or on the way there, I'll figure out something else to do. But there's, if we had a graph, you could see the amount of control that that person has going up as time progresses and as you get closer to where their quote unquote hideout is. In the the moment that they try to get you, that they accost you, that's the moment at which they have the least amount of control. That's where the most can go wrong. That's where for them. You, for them, and that's where you are probably most familiar with the surroundings because you know where you are, and you're not in their vehicle. There's nothing. So the best place to make a stand is right there. Don't get in their car. Don't go to their location because their location is primed. That's where they've got five of their friends. Their soundproof basement that has no windows, you know, uh, restraints or whatever it is, locks on the door. Other people that are sympathetic to whatever cause they've got. When you're standing outside your door or outside Starbucks or whatever, and they've got something on you, that's the place where you go, I'm just going to scream or I'm going to fight. And then that person most likely will run away, give up, choose a different victim, hmm. stab you and run away, or, or just, you know, who knows. But it, whatever happens there is going to be better and easier than what happens at the secondary location. Well, I didn't listen to that advice at all because my friend was like, all right, I'm just going to comply. And w- retrospectively, what could you have done though? Like you're on a bridge. Exactly. You, it's almost like you already were in a secondary location. I was already kind of in a in a pickle. Yeah, for sure. And at that point, I did what most people do when they get assaulted, which is go. This is probably not as bad as I think it is because your brain's trying to keep itself from going ov- overload panic mode. And so I I decided to. I decided, okay, well, I don't want to get in the car. And they wouldn't let us get in the car anyway. There were, there were rifles in the back seat. You, you know, I'm sorry to interrupt, and I sure. tend to interrupt a lot, but I'm trying to kind of make the metaphor to many situations in life. Like, let's say your boss confronts you or you're fired or you're having a problem in a relationship. Are you kind of saying confront right there or fight confrontation with confrontation? Because often it, you do comply for a little while because you feel that the heat will cool down. Yeah, I mean, for... I mean, this obviously is a different situation because there's physical threats involved. Yeah, I think it, it's mostly to do with physical threats. I mean, maybe you could stretch the metaphor that far, but I know in this case it is specifically physical confrontation because 
because of the constraints that you have when you're at the other person's location. Like right now, I'm, I'm in your recording studio in New York. It, it's harder for me to get out, know where everything is. And every serial killer movie, right, that you see, if you ever watched Dexter or anything like that, remember those killers would invite, remember the one he's like inviting someone to his weird fun house and there's like barbed wire and mesh everywhere and she's got to crawl through and he's kind of walking slowly after. That's what it's like in the secondary location. The other person has you right where they want you. They mm. set it up that way. There's right. there's very little chance of escape. They've thought of everything in that location. They can't control the location where they get you, generally, unless you put yourself in a bad place. You know, you're walking down a dark alley. That's why bad things happen in dark alleys. But this, I was on a bridge, and I thought, okay, my friend's already complying. They wouldn't let us in the car. There's rifles in the back seat, And so they go stand on the running boards of the car. Um, Do you know what running boards are? No. So in a Jeep there, or or any kind of SUV, there's doors that are maybe a little bit higher off the ground that might be hard to step into. So there's a little step that kind of goes underneath. That's called a running board. So they made us stand on the running boards and hold on to the top of the car, which had a sunroof that they opened, and then we were holding on to that. And I thought, okay, we're going to get somewhere where there's a bunch of people, and I'm just going to like get off this car. And that, I thought, was better than trying to run on this island and across this bridge. I mean, there's just no way I was getting away because I was already, like you said, at an almost secondary location where there was no, nowhere for me to go. Like, there were tons of people around on this island, but they were vendors and stuff like that. And a lot of them were like, I don't want to deal with these secret police guys. So they were minding their own business. I thought if we go through town or something, it's going to be harder because I'm just going to scream... Even if nobody tries to help me at that point, they're going to have to drag me back into this Jeep and they're probably just going to be like, screw it. Because someone's going to have a camera phone and it's just not worth it. And so I get on the Jeep, my friend gets on the Jeep, and we're driving and we're going down the, the highway and it's like 40 miles an hour. So I'm thinking, holy crap, I better be careful because you can't just tuck and roll at 40 miles an hour. You're you gonna can't? Get, you, 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 What's I, the highest you can tuck and roll? I actually don't know. Probably yeah. like 10 miles an hour because it like, looks Like what if you slow. had jumped out at 40 miles an hour and tried to do the tuck? Like, so the tuck and roll, I guess, is you you get in a ball and you roll with it so you to, to get the momentum out of you. Yeah, it would have been like most likely several broken limbs or a busted head or a busted everything. Who knows? So it was just, it was so fast that viscerally I knew that I was not going to be able to do this and they were driving in multiple lanes of traffic so even if I had done an awesome Rambo move there's a good chance I would have just gotten hit by a bus or a car or something else Mm. in that lane so me and my friend were kind of worried and and we're really nervous at this point and the regular police tried to pull over the jeep and I thought oh thank god you know they're gonna pull over and we're just gonna go look these guys are messing with us you know call somebody and figure this out, or at least maybe they'll arrest us, and we'll go to the police station, and it'll be like a normal kind of situation where they're going to go, there's nothing these guys did, or or they'll charge us with like riding on the outside of a car on the highway, and I'll deal with that. But then these guys unrolled their window and just kind of like waved them away, and the <sighs> cops just pulled over and like didn't do anything. And that's when I thought, holy crap, this is real. Like These are real guys with real authority, that are just abusing their power and nobody is going to be able to help us because if the police police decided that they couldn't do anything then there's nobody that can do anything you know and they had taken our phones everything like this and they were calling our friends and like harassing them on the phone they were calling my they just called for fun? just for fun they had called my boss they had called a bunch of my serbian friends and they were like yeah your friend's going to die you can look for him in the sava river and stuff like that 
And my friends are freaking out because they knew that this stuff actually happens. And so they so were, were really they worried. calling embassies and trying to? They were calling the police, and the police were actually looking for us at that point. And it, possibly that car had also been looking for us, but I think they were just probably, probably trying to pull us over because we were standing on the outside of a freaking SUV. Right. So people were looking for us at that point, yeah. And they brought us to this like this bar that turned out to be kind of like a police informant safe house or something like that. And we showed up, and the bartender was really nice, and he was like, "Calm down, don't worry, you guys are going to be fine." But he also seemed kind of sketchy in a way because there the place was it, it's like nine o'clock in the morning and there's a bar that like has metal windows and is is totally closed, but that guy just happens to be there. What's going on here? You know, why is this guy hanging out at this place that's like a bar slash house? And um so they take us down to the basement and I'm like, crap, this is a secondary location. I already blew my opportunity to do anything about this. What am I what was I thinking? I'm gonna die now. And we end up in the the basement of this place, and there's, like, pipes sticking out of the wall, wires and stuff. And at this point, though, my friend has a... My friend's annoying these guys, and he's just talking and being rude. And these guys, to me, they were... I was trying to keep really calm and chatty, and they were kind of calm with me, which I thought was really reassuring. And the bartender kept telling my friend, like, hey, man, calm down, chill out, relax. And with me— How, how are you being calm and, like, how are you being yeah, chatty? good question. So the guys would say something like—the cops would say something like, you know, you guys, Americans, all you guys do is, is screw with our country and, like, bomb us and stuff like that. You're trying to destroy us. We're going to destroy you. We're going to send you back to your CIA friends in a body bag. And I, and I would say something like— Hey, look, I totally understand why you feel that way. I I would definitely be in the same situation. Americans also are really proud people, but I do just teach English, and a lot of the people I teach are refugees from, and I guess by their accents, they're from Bosnia, So I was like, but they, again, they didn't know that I knew Serbian. So I said, you know, a lot of my... A lot of my students are from places like Bosnia. I teach kids and adults and things like that. And, and I mean, you know, if you want to call some of them, you're welcome to use my phone to do so, which I already knew they were doing. And then the guy was like, well, you know what? I don't believe anything you're saying. This is BS. And I was like, yeah, I wouldn't believe me either. So why don't we call some of these people? We can call my boss, uh, who's Serbian. You know, she was part of the resistance, which she actually was back uh, during the some of the bombing stuff. She was like a guerrilla fighter in, in Bosnia, crazy stuff. So I was like, call her. Her name is Gordana. She's in my phone. You can look it up. It's in, And her nickname is Gotza, which is common nickname for Gordana. So they actually did call her, and she was like, don't hurt him or I'll kill you, you know? And these guys were like, whatever, biatch, you know, probably didn't care. But then they started to actually be really nice to me in a lot of ways, and they started to get really angry and kick the chair that I was in and things like that, but... They were like, what are you going to do? What are you doing here? What are you really doing here? And I, and I just said, look, I'm an English teacher, but I totally get why you're testing me. And, and they're like, what are you doing today? So you're constantly trying to relate to them yes. and somehow kind of get on the same level as them. Right. And, and the more emotional they get, the more I'm trying to at least pretend that I'm calm. So if they're kicking the chair and yelling at me and getting in my face and being like, what if I just burn your face with this cigarette right now? I'm like, well, that would really hurt and it would be really mean. And I would say something like just t- deadpan calm, but not like, oh, don't do that, but just calm. And it was weird and hard to do because inside I'm like, oh my God, I hope they don't stick a cigarette in my eye. You know, that would really hurt and I would scream so loud and they might blind me or whatever. 
because that's what they were threatening to do, you know. And they had already burned some of my arms and stuff like that. Like, there's, uh, they were, and you did know, that hurt? Yeah, that, that hurt. And I would be like, I'd be like, ah, and then they would start laughing, and I'd be like, okay, I can't really get mad because that's what they want. So I'd be like, you guys are crazy, knock it off, you know, almost joking. And they were like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? You know, this guy's like weird but were, not just like they saying anything in serbian and they that were point? yeah good yeah good good question they were they were saying things like this guy you know is he, he just seems really chill and then the other guy's like maybe it's spy training and 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 they're like well maybe but he does know a lot of things about you know refugees in bosnia and stuff like that and and then they were like all right well you know, Amer- they have these stereotypes of Americans, so they're like, ask him what his favorite Serbian food is. So they're like, what do you eat? And I was like, well, I heard this place has the best, uh, this type of food, so we're going to go there later if you guys want to come with us. And the guy was like, what? You know, it just totally non-compute, like non-sequiturs left and right to kind of throw off his emotional state. Because I figured if I have to make him think, it's so hard to be angry and think at the same time. That's a really good point. And because it's logic versus emotion, right? So you, I wanted to get him out of an emotional state and into a logical state. And I said something like, we're going to this place, Lipa, do you know it? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And I said, I heard they have the best food in Novi Sad. And he's like, no, they don't. They don't have the best food. So he's angry about that instead of angry about me being an American spy. And then I was like, well, what about this place, Nakpitanya in Belgrade, another place? And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's overrated. There's other places that have better food. And I was like, well, where do you go? He tells me where he goes to eat. I, I forgot the name or I'd tell you. Uh, and I said, what do you order when you go there? And he tells me, well, do you like this? Do you like that? And I said, yeah, I like this, the Sarma, Serbian traditional food. And he goes, you've never had that. And I go, yeah, actually, my grandma makes it because she's from around here, and which is a lie, but whatever. And then he goes, oh, so you're kind of Serbian? And I was like, yeah, I guess technically I've never thought about that that way, which is also BS. I just wanted to see, to let him know he was maybe going to hurt one of his maybe native sons if he decided right. to be all nationalist. Because he was being nationalist, you know, like, right. like I, th- I thought, look, if you want to harm an American, just pick somebody else. You know, I'm essentially descended from Serbs, which is not true. And so he he gets really, really logical, but he's still, he's trying to keep himself angry because it's really, you know, that his plan was to cause him some trouble. My friend, on the other hand, is getting his ass beat in the next room and there... You could hear it? I could hear it. I could hear it. Like, you hear like, you know, and then you hear like, ugh, and screaming and yelling and then like, you know, and I'm like, that's what it sounds like when you're getting punched in the face so or slapped really hard. And so I'm worried about him, but it's kind of like the airplane mask, help yourself before you try to aid right. others. And um, the guy asked me if I've ever had uh, Serbian Raki, which is like their homemade liquor. And I said, yeah, actually I have. And I go, and I could use a drink right about now as a joke. And he actually got up and went away. And I thought, okay, I'm going to run away or jump this guy when he gets back. And then we're going to have to like get out of here and steal the Jeep and go or something. So he comes back and he's holding like a, a club or something in his hand. And I, I'm... At this point, I'm like, all right, I'm kind of untied from this chair. I'm going to get up and just tackle him and go for the legs. But then if, if I go for the legs, he's got this club, so maybe I'll go for a high tackle. And then I was like, wait, i got to control this weapon that he's got. And by the time I Did got Did you have done, any kind of, like, attack? Like, are you into karate or mixed I, martial arts at, or anything like that? At that point, I was doing mixed martial arts. This is 2000. We didn't call it mixed martial arts at this point. We just called it kihon, which is like some Japanese word that means basic or something. And um, so I thought, okay, I'm going to control the weapon and then I'm going to like take him down somehow and, and, and choke him out or, or, you know, t- 
twist them up or something. Uh, and I was in relatively good shape at that point. But by the time I had come up with that little plan, I realized he was holding a bottle of, of Rakia, this homebrew liquor. And I thought, he's not going to hit me in the head with that. That would be wasteful, you know? And so he puts it down on the table and he starts pouring drinks. And his friend's like, what are you doing over there? You guys having a party? And he's like, ah, whatever. This guy's fine. He's not a spy, whatever. So we start doing shots and drinking. And I'm like, okay, I got to stay relatively sober because if I'm just wasted, they could, they could figure out that they don't, that they'd change their mind and they want to kill us anyway. So at some point I'm like, hold on, hold on. I need water. I'm not feeling well. I've been awake all night. I'm now we're drinking. Like I'm really not feeling well. I don't want to throw up. And I noticed there are a lot of pipes sticking out of the wall. I know there's no water anywhere near there. So I thought he's going to go get a bottle of water and then I'm just going to like gun it and run out and, and figure something out. And, and then after a while, he just didn't come back. He didn't come back. His friend also, I didn't hear any noise. And then I heard the doors, the Jeep closing and them leaving. And I don't know where they were going. I don't know if they were going to get water or if they just got bored with us or what. Uh, and the bartender was nowhere to be found either. So me and my friend, I pick him up. He's like all bleeding. It's a huge mess, lumpy, like Could he unconscious walk? mess. Barely. I mean, he was like, it was pr- barely. Mm. So I'm dragging him out and I don't want to go out the front door. So we're trying to find a side door because who knows if they're just out there chilling in the Jeep. I don't know. And um, I noticed they were actually out there in the Jeep, but we had gotten out the side door. We started running away. We start getting away. And then we immediately get arrested again because we had gone to a cafe to ask for help. And I assume at this point we're covered in blood, like dirty, beat up. You know, I had, I'd had burns and those things were like kind of bloody and gross on, on my face and arms. And then I assume the waitress who came over to see what we needed was just like two freaking zombies walked in and she probably called the cops because we had sat down in some chairs and couldn't move. So the cops came and they arrested us again and they took us to the police station. These are real cops. And they were like, who, you know, what are you guys doing? I'm like, the police did this. And they were like, bullshit, what police? And I described the Jeep and I described what happened. And then the guy goes, this big, tough cop with like combat boots and uh, cargo pants and and like a little submachine gun. They call them militia, like militia, like real cops, like SWAT-ish type guys. He goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry about this. And he just felt awful because he's like these freaking guys that these stupid secret police guys are always just causing crap in the community. And these two guys who are clearly just tourists just got the bad end of that. And he he felt really bad. And he's a young guy who was really not happy when we got arrested. He thought we were just junkies or something. So he he was super apologetic. And he's telling the captain what happened. They throw us in a, in a cell and the captain's like, what on earth, what is going on here? My Serbian wasn't good enough to explain to him in coherent terms what happened, but his girlfriend was a German teacher. So he calls his girlfriend on the phone, and I tell her what happened in, in German. I can speak German much better than I can speak Serbian. It's my second language. And um, I tell her what happened. She happens to know my boss because she's a language teacher, and they had some conference or whatever, and she knows who my boss is because she owns a language school. So she explains to the captain what happened, and he's like, okay, I'm just going to lose you guys. I didn't book you guys. Just get the hell out of here. If you can, leave the town that we're in, Novi Sad, because... I just don't want to deal with this crap. But I'm going to send a detective over to get a statement anyway because you guys are in bad shape and I don't want to ignore you, but I certainly don't want you sitting here. And so we got out of there and we left and uh, the detective tried to figure out what happened and those guys turned out to be guys they just couldn't do anything about, made front page news, 
and really, uh, it made front page it made news, front page news in, uh, in Serbia. I got calls from my friends in Australia that are Serbian that were like, are you okay? I just saw you on the front page of Politico. Which Wait, is wasn't newspaper. it dangerous being on the front page? Like one of these guys try to get revenge? Yeah, I thought, great, oh, this is perfect. But um, what happened was we went to the embassy and they were like, look, we'll take care of it. It's not going to be a problem. So we got a letter of apology from their interior minister. Uh, that we were allowed to read at the embassy that we couldn't take because they didn't want some admission of, like, hey, oh, I was going to ask if you like frame that. Hell or no, they, I would have, <laughs> but they wouldn't let us take it out of the embassy because they were like, look, we don't want some admission of what how effed up our pl- our country is floating around. But you guys can know that we apologized to your government, but not to you for the miscommunication between your what you were doing here as an educational resource and not a spy. And I was freaking pissed because I thought the American embassy didn't do squat. They were they were just like, don't go to the media and make a big deal out of it. Yeah, so, meanwhile, you're on the front page. Meanwhile, I'm on the front page. <laughs> wasn't even my fault. And then the program, the educational program that I was with, they said, look, we totally know that this probably happened, and, but we're going to have to say that it was all a misunderstanding because we don't want it's already hard enough to get shit done in this country and if you guys are putting gum in our machinery by making a big deal out of this it's going to be a huge pain in the ass so either you go home right now and you lose your fellowship and we say that we had to remove you from the program for bad conduct or oh my gosh or you just like deal with the fact that you're still alive and like deal with it and we'll give you like extra money to they gave you extra money they gave me extra money like how much it was like Eight grand or something. It's like, not bad. It wasn't you're bad. making a hundred euros. A yeah, month. yeah, it wasn't bad. They they had ended up paying for like everything that I needed on this fellowship. But did you get any kind of like post traumatic stress from this? I I think maybe I did for a while because it, but I didn't know it at the time because it wasn't in the the consciousness at the time, like what PTSD is or was. So there were, there were definitely some times where I like would have weird nightmares or something or where I would just be, like, really angry for no reason, probably because you just feel violated. And, and yeah, like, it's probably the same kind of stress that you would have if you got mugged and you got beat up and somebody broke your jaw and you just, like, never knew who it was. Hmm. Or they never got caught. Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests? And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, 
While you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I'm definitely going to use HIMSS from now Not on. that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMSS app track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hymns.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's hims.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. 
Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. So you said earlier uh, you made reference to a kidnapping in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I've never been kidnapped once, of course. Yeah. And you've been kidnapped twice. Like, so I want to hear about the kidnapping in Mexico, but what do you think about you uh, makes you kidnapped? Well, <laughs> twice first, is a lot. Da- yeah, twice is like a lot. It's like getting struck by lightning. It, it is kind of like getting struck by lightning. I, the first time was in Mexico when I was 20, and I lived in this like hood barrio where I had found a place to live because I worked for a nonprofit. And so, I w- so it seems like you put yourself in for 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 what ostensibly seems like charitable reasons. Yeah. You put yourself in what are already not necessarily secondary locations, but let's call them one and a half locations. Yeah, it's one point five locations. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I was doing that at that time. Now that I'm thirty six, I'm you, like, were hell you no. trying to self sabotage in some way? Like, <laughs> maybe did you feel like your childhood was suburban, boring, and yes. now you were going to kind of like take totally. chances and have you know these experiences? Yeah, I grew up only child, did a lot of cool stuff, but only after age maybe sixteen, no seventeen, because I I had been grown up in this boring suburban town of Troy, Michigan. And then I went and I was an exchange student in Germany when I was 17. And they had placed me in the former East Germany, which is like, you know, former communist place. And I lived in this kind of rough town with this family and they were awesome. And the the father taught me kind of how to hustle a little bit. Cause whenever you grow up in a communist society, either you're just a downtrodden sheep or you kind of realize all right, here's how the system works. You got to finagle everything. So like what's an example of a hustle? So one of the things he finagled was I needed to get a visa to stay there for a year and go to school. And the organization that I was with, they were like, oh, we submitted all the paperwork. The problem is you can't go on any trips around until we finish all this paperwork because we need to know where you are because you're going to stay here and we don't want immigrants like disappearing into the country. So you have to stay around and my host father was like this is germany we don't bribe people it's really on the up and up but i happen to know this person who does this thing at this police department i'm just going to explain to him that you're an american and that you're staying with me and that i'll keep track of you and so he went in there and he was like hey such and such police officer guy Remember me? I was your gym teacher from when you were in high school. Anyway, I've got this exchange student, and you should also come on this ski trip with us later. Hmm. And the guy was like, yeah, I don't know if I can go on this ski trip, but I'll give you a call, and don't worry. Here's his sticker. He's good, and we'll just do the paperwork after. But he get this, he's got the sticker for now, as long as he's just like staying in your house. And so that was that was like a pretty simple little hustle. But I was like, wow, how did you do that? That's pretty cool they let you do that, because I thought Germany was really strict. And he started telling me that in the communist times, when he got his driver's license, the, it took like eight months and you had to pay all this money and it was really hard and not everybody could have a driver's license and even fewer people could have a car. So what he did is he contacted his cousin who lived in Canada, had him cut the labels off a bunch of jeans, like Levi's jeans, had him mail the jeans in a box marked Christmas presents or whatever to him, to my host father. And he also had him send a bunch of whiskey along with the jeans. So he would take the jeans and the whiskey and he would go to the driving instruction place that made you take six months of whatever driving instruction and he'd go, look guys, I already know how to drive. Here's proof. 
here's a bottle of Jack Daniels and a pair of jeans. And they were like, okay, we'll just give you the test. So he drove in the car and they're like, yeah, yeah, I guess you kind of do know how to drive. All right, here's a stamp that says you took the driving test. So you go to the police. The police have to kind of recognize that you took the test and process all the paperwork so you can get the license. And he goes, look, I could use this driver's license a bit earlier. Here's a couple bottles of whiskey and a couple of pairs of jeans for your kids or, you know, for you guys. And they go, all right, we'll, uh, we'll expedite this. And when you come back, have another bottle of whiskey and another pair of those jeans. So he goes, great, come back in two weeks. So in two weeks, he got a driver's license. Usually this process lasts almost a year or longer so than a year. it's almost like bribery, but not quite. It's like it, gift giving. It, it's like gift giving because the money's not worth squat. You can't buy anything in communist societies. There's nothing to buy. Right. Right. So if you have the product, it's better than money, which is pretty rare. So those cops couldn't get jeans or whiskey. It was impossible to get that stuff. And he's like, look, I just need a driver's license. What, what does it cost you to stamp a piece of paper that you already know I know how to drive? This, the driving people already told you I knew how to drive. So he got a license, and I thought, wait a minute. This is amazing. I wonder if everything works like that. And that was kind of the dawn where I was like, wait a minute. People play by the rules if they don't know how to not and that was a huge realization for me. What do you mean? People as a kid. play by the rules. If they don't know how to not play by the rules, if they don't know a better way. Right. So, like in America, for example, you see people who are like, they grow up and they go to college and then they get a job. But people who kind of maybe have an alternate way of looking at things, they might grow up, go to high school and go, I don't really know what I want to do, but I do know this person who's running a company doing this thing. Maybe I can get an apprenticeship or an internship there actually learn something instead of like the skull shapes of astrolopithecines or whatever I learned in college. And then then later on, I can either go back to school or I can get a job or I can do a startup or something like that, or I can work with this these people at this cool company. But you need connections to do that. And so what I learned is that connections are really, really important. And they were important in that communist society, but they probably were equally important now. It's just that since people have predefined paths that they can choose that supposedly lead to gainful employment and a happy life, we don't necessarily look for those opportunities. We just look for the default path, which is grow up, go to university, apply for jobs, get mm-hmm. mediocre job, work until dot, 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 dream job, dot, 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 marriage, life, happy kids, family, whatever. We don't. That's a black box for all of us, right? But I, I thought maybe there's alternate paths that we can carve out. And I learned that from watching him kind of get what he wanted and needed through alternate means rather than just filling out the application. So, okay, so from there, now you're in Mexico. Yes. In a hood in somewhere. A hood. <laughs> and this one's less exciting because I basically had lived in a crappy area. I wanted to go meet my friend who is German for some drinks in the town. So I got into a, a cab, a green Volkswagen bug taxi and that's the that's what they are all on mexico city and so i get in this taxi and this is before cell phones this is the year 2000 right so there's there's cell phone no no cell phones and cab drivers didn't have them so we're we're driving further and further away and mexico city is like a bowl where in the middle is the center of town and that's where i wanted to go it's called zocalo and it's like the presidential palace there's a statue there i mean everyone knows where it is and he goes, yeah, yeah, I'm just uh, maybe, I thought he was avoiding traffic. He goes, maybe I'm asking for directions, something like that. And I thought, this is weird because him asking for directions to Socalo from here is like a cabbie in Washington, D.C. asking for directions to the White House. Everybody knows where it is. It's suspicious if they don't. So I noticed we were going further away from the bull, and I'd asked him, and he said, we're looking, you know, I'll get directions. I'm going to go to ask my friend. And I thought, I, I, I'm good. Just let me out here. And he goes, 
well, no, no, we're almost there. And I was like, I know we're not almost there. So at this point, I said, look, I'll pay you. Just let me out. I'll go back. And he was like, I thought you said you only had a credit card. Because I did stupidly, I was 20 years old, tell him I needed to go to an ATM beforehand. Just like, don't do that. So, because I didn't have any cash to pay him. So he goes, look, I thought you said you didn't have a credit, uh, any cash. We got to go to an ATM. I know where one is. And I thought, there's for sure no ATMs further away than away from the city. There's ATMs down where we're going, man. You know, what the hell? So he stops in front of this like gross ramshackle building that's all cinder block, like raw cinder block. And I go, don't get out of the car. And at this point, I'd been like lifting weights and bodybuilding and doing MMA and all this stuff. So I slid behind him. I was sort of kitty corner in the, behind the passenger seat. I slid behind him and I put my arm between him and the door. And he didn't know that. He didn't notice that. So I said, don't get out of the cab. Just keep going anywhere but here. Because I'm like, this is the secondary location, right? Mm-hmm. This is for sure there. I, I cannot stay here. And I, I, I So don't, I don't understand. You put your arm... Describe but, it to me again. You, so, yeah, so you know, there, there's like the door, and then there's the pass or the, the driver's seat. Uh, my arm was between, like touching the door. Like the, his arm was on the wheel, and your arm was in between his arm and the door. Right. So he wouldn't have been able to if he had wanted to jump out. The, my point, my idea was, if he wanted to jump out of the car, he would have had to like get through my arm, and I thought maybe I can catch him or delay him somehow. And he was probably in his fifties, and I was twenty, and I was like, what if he went out the other side? He would he would have had to go over the emergency brake and the console, uh-huh. so I would have probably been able to slide faster than him. Right, um, but I couldn't get out of the car, and the the locks had dipped below. They were like oh, it was an old crappy VW bug, so the locks had dipped had dipped below the surface level of the door, so I couldn't pull them up. Right, and I was really frustrated. I couldn't open the door, nothing, and I thought about like breaking the window, but it, I I, di- I didn't know if I could even get out then. I wasn't sure what was going on. So I slid between him and the door, and I thought, okay, he's. I'm probably scared over nothing, but I, I don't want to take any chances. So I had my arm between him and the door, and he goes, calm down, calm down, calm down. He didn't see my arm there, and then he made a fast one for the door, trying to like charge out. So I grabbed him up and pulled him really tight against the seat, and I slid my arms up around his neck, uh, before he, you know, before he was able to really get around, and he was flailing and like scratching on my arms, but I had just squeezed the crap out of him from the neck, and I, th- I thought, okay, I'm gonna just put him in a sleeper with this between the seat, which is actually it's really hard to put someone in a sleeper. What's a sleeper? A sleeper is when you have your forearm around their neck, and you're you're cutting off these two uh, vessels on either side of the neck, the blood supply to the brain. So you have about four seconds or so before you just start seeing red or black and you go to sleep for a few seconds anyway. So I put him in the sleeper hold. It's, and it's very hard because the seat padding takes, you really have to squeeze hard, even if it's your body against their body and your arms against their neck. I've got a seat in between me and him. So I'm squeezing really, really hard. And, and you know, I can't get a great grip on his neck because there's a seat pad, like a headrest between me and him. So I'm squeezing as hard as I can. And eventually he stops moving. And at that point, I'm able to open his door and I'm like pushing him out of the car, climbing between the two seats, sliding out the driver's side door 
I eventually pull his body away from the car, and I try to drive the car, and it's a freaking sticky stick shift. Now, wait a second. Let's say something bad wasn't really happening. I know. And let's say I think about that all the time. <laughs> let's say someone in this place saw what was happening. Now you're like assaulting someone and stealing their car. I know. And his buddies are gonna are presumably stronger than him. They would kill you. Yeah, I was really worried about that, and I still think about that to this day. Like, what if he really was? just going to ask for directions and I just like assaulted a taxi driver and hopefully he's still alive right and and then like tried to steal his car I couldn't steal the car I couldn't drive this cranky old 1960 whatever VW bug I couldn't do it so I took the keys out and I chucked him I probably should have kept him with me but I chucked him because I didn't want him to wake up or somebody else to like get in the car and drive after me and I'm just running down this like crappy dirt road or maybe it wasn't totally dirt. It was like rough pavement-ish yeah. crap. And I'm running and running and running. And I'm like in freaking Banana Republic chinos and like a blue button-down shirt. And at this point, I had like my hair dyed blonde. I was 20. I'm 36 now. I looked a lot different. And I'm running down the road and no one, no one's driving by. Finally, I get to a bigger road. No one's stopping because there's this like sweaty white gringo who is looking pretty gross, I would imagine, and not in the right place. I don't think anybody would stop there anyway, let alone for for somebody looking like me at that point. Finally, someone stops and is like, "What's wrong?" in Spanish, and I was like, "I I I think I got kidnapped," and I'm I don't know how to say that in Spanish, and I'm just saying like some somebody took me, and they're like, "What?" So this guy turned out to be a doctor, and a, a girl I thought was his daughter, but I actually think was maybe his girlfriend. <laughs> um, she was like, "Well, we can't leave him here. We can't leave him here," and I was like, "Look, I'll ride in the trunk. I don't care." I'll ride in the trunk, I don't care. So they ended up being like, okay, okay, fine. We're not driving you home, but we'll drive you to a metro station. So they drove me to a metro station, and I was like, take me to the police. And the guy goes, look, I'm not taking you to the police because one, I don't know what you did. Two, if the, if you did get kidnapped, the there's a chance the police are, are like in on whatever ring did this because there's a lot of corrupt police in Mexico City, especially at that time. They're like, you could end up getting put right back here. If I were you, I would not go to the police. I would just go and get all your crap and get the hell out of here and don't be around by tomorrow morning. Just move. So I did. I moved. Where'd you go? I went to Guadalajara, Mexico, which is another city, and that was much quieter. And I rented a house from a family there, and I was just chill. I probably should have left Mexico entirely, but... I thought, hmm, nobody knows who I was. I didn't get the taxi in front of my house, so nobody knows. And I just it wasn't like they were targeting you. You just looked like a target. I just looked like a target. I was just a dumb kid. And I told my host family, I was like, I had to move because I had a problem with the with uh, some people there. And they were like, Oh my gosh, thanks for not coming home because they know, like, I don't want a friggin' Mexican gang at our house, right? With my elderly parents, I lived with like this random elder, you know, elderly people and their kids, their adult kids. So they so, were like, "All right, fine." So okay, so so now we see an, a range of ways to get out of a hostage situation. <laughs> For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network at jamesaltucher.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot 
for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.